Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Open Trailer Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Austin, and we start the series off with a three-stage interview with one of the most recognizable names in motorsports here in Maine over the last 25, 30 years, Andy Santer. In stage one, we learn all about how Andy learned how to drive, and we're not talking about race cars. Andy talks about his father, who was also a racer. Also, Andy almost didn't become a race car driver. He was sidelined with a major illness at the age of 18, and he gets into some very deep details about that. Andy's probably most famous for the number 44. Some of you may remember him as number 6, but before he was either 6 or 44, he was 25. And we find out how that number came to be. His Speedway 95 days, his ACT days, and one of my favorite stories, how the race car owner's wife was instrumental in keeping their ACT season together. Before we start, though, this podcast directly benefits the Maine Vintage Race Car Association. Now, MVRCA preserves the history of racing in the state of Maine. There are a few ways that you can support our mission. The most important thing is to be a member of our organization, and individual memberships are available for less than $2 a month. All of that information is available on our website at mainvintagerace.org. That's mainvintagerace.org. You can also support the Open Trailer Podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash opentrailerpodcast. Money raised goes directly into the production and equipment to make this possible, and I appreciate the support. Really, we haven't even pressed play on episode one, and your encouragement and enthusiasm has meant the world and really charged me up for what I believe is going to be a series that, that you're really going to enjoy. Before I could start the interview with Andy, I had to find out what was going on with him on this very day because it seems like he'd been driving for a long time. Let's get to it. So you've already been driving for hundreds of miles today. What what, what have you been doing all day? Oh, I've been hauling fuel oil today, home heating oil. How did you get into this? Well, um, actually, it does relate to racing because... um, David Dow, who was my cousin from Cherryfield, Maine, yeah. he uh, he's the one that talked me into getting a race car back in 1988 and uh, getting going. And he always helped me with my first four or five race cars I had when I raced mm. locally, Speedway 95 stuff. And then over the years, even when I ran the Bush Series, I'd call David once in a while. He was a Bangor firefighter and uh, worked for the city of Bangor. And I'd call him, and he had a lot of vacation time. And he had a CDL license, so I'd call him and say, hey, can you help my truck driver go to California this week? He'd say, yeah, I'll be there tonight. He'd jump on a plane, come to North Carolina. Wow. So this guy would do anything. He helped me. He's the one that really got me into it. He was working for H.O. Bouchard in Bangor here after he retired from firefighting, and he ended up with a brain tumor. And he lived for a couple of years, but he passed of the brain tumor. And I was at his funeral when uh, I met a gentleman from H.O. Bouchard, and he asked me if I'd, I would consider working for them. 
And at the time, I had a good job and all. So I said, no, I'm not really interested in driving truck. And things changed, and I wanted a different something different to do. And he uh, he said, if you don't want to work for us, he said, how about buying your own truck and being an owner-operator? So long story short, I went and bought a brand-new 2019 Peterbilt two years ago. A couple of years. I see. I was driving to, uh, driving to work at like quarter or five in the morning one day. And this truck is, you know, next to me, and I'm like, that say Andy Santer is he a truck company now? <laughs> you know? Well, it's one. Yeah, it's well, it's one and only one, and right. I'm the only driver. So, yeah. I everybody says, why don't you hire someone to drive that? You know, at night and weekends or whatever. And I said, no, I I like it, and especially yeah. especially nowadays with the COVID thing. I'm right. my own boss. I'm my own driver, pretty much. I don't have to worry about the truck, and I take care of it, and I just do what I can do myself. That thing is immaculate, by the way. <laughs> I try to keep it looking good. So, so from Cherryfield, Maine, you know, obviously a lot of people know the NASCAR stuff and, and all the success there, but let's go back to Cherryfield. What was your childhood like? Well, I grew up uh, on a – I basically grew up in a junkyard. Hmm. My dad, uh, he worked for Dead River Oil Company. He was actually the manager of the local branch when I was growing up as a as a young kid, you know, five, six years old. Uh, my dad had always worked on furnaces. He was a burner man. Hmm. And he worked. He, he started out at H.G. Tucker & Sons, which was a local cherry field company. Dead River came along, bought them out. And uh, my dad was a burner man, and they decided that he should be in management. So he became the general manager wow. of the Dead River Branch. Yeah. And, and my dad always had a tow truck, so uh, he'd come home from working all day at Dead River, and the state police would always call, and he'd go out and haul cars. Yeah, so people getting in trouble. People, oh, yeah. And back then, <laughs> the cars weren't quite as reliable as they are now. Yeah. So I would always want to be with Dad on the wrecker. So if the oh. record went, I went. And uh, he and my uncle had a junk car just on the side as a side business, and Dad would tow, them, tow the old junk cars in, and they'd get, you know, three or 400 cars in our backfield. And uh, when they got the field full, they'd call, uh, like, Dave St. Clair, mm-hmm. Boss Hogg. He was, a, he was a crusher guy. So he'd wow. come and crush the cars. and He was like the Johnny Clark of the time. Pretty much yeah. at the time. That's, yeah. what, that's what Dave did. So that's how I knew. I got to know Dave St. Clair long before I knew him in racing mm. and got to race with him. But I, I knew him as a kid. He was the junk guy. So you love to hang out with your dad at night uh, when you probably might be doing homework. I mean, what kind of student <laughs> were you? Uh, I was a lot better at hanging out with Dad than I was. Uh, um, I did okay in school. I yeah. I actually got pretty good grades until I got to high school, and I just I was a gearhead. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to work on cars, and all my friend my dad had a one bay garage, and of course we had the junkyard, so we had tools and we had things to work on cars with. So all my friends that had cars, nobody had anything real good at that point, but they would all bring them to my dad's garage and i'd work on them so Mm. i learned how to rebuild an engine my father was a good teacher because he he'd say look you got to get this this and this get it all together and i'll help you and i remember rebuilding my first 350 chevy and i didn't have an engine stand i did it in the garage on the floor on a piece of plywood wow but i collected pieces and when i got all the parts and pieces he'd tell me hey you need a camshaft you need a crankshaft and this and that and i didn't know a whole lot so i'd go get pieces and he'd come in and he'd say well you got to have an oil pump you got to have yeah. this and did, I got, he, uh, did he teach you how to drive uh not well yes he did in in a yeah and one of the best stories of, of the first time i remember driving by myself my dad had an old international farm truck on in the junkyard hmm. and he put these half tracks 
and I don't really know how to explain what they were other than they looked like a lightweight bulldozer track. Okay. And they went around the rear the rear wheels on or the tires on the this truck. It had dual wheels, just one axle. And what my father did is he took just a straight axle with like car tires on it and he clamped it up to the frame of this old farm truck and he put these half tracks on it and he used the come along and he pulled that that straight axle against the track to, just to hold tension's all it was. Right. And what yeah. it was it was a tensioner, but it was an axle with wheels on it. And it held the tension on that track vehicle. And that track vehicle, you could get around the junkyard without getting stuck because it had these tracks, mm. which was even better than chains. Well, I said, Dad, can I drive that? I was five years old. Oh. He said, uh, yeah, you can. But he said, uh, he said you can't reach the pedals. And I said, no, I know. He said, tell you what, it had a five and a four transmission. It had two shifting levers. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'll leave it in low gear. And whenever you want to drive it, he said, you just reach down and hit the key and it'll start. Because it was so low-geared, no safety devices, obviously. That's every main dad from the 70s. (laughs) Exactly. No fear at all. Yeah. So I'd I'd stand in the seat, reach down, start the engine, and it would start moving. Mm. And I'd just steer it is all I did. I wasn't really driving it. But I drove around the junkyard at, what, two or three miles an hour, whatever it went. And that thing had any brakes? No, I couldn't reach the brakes anyway. Oh, right. Yeah, you couldn't reach the pedals. And I asked Dad, that was my first question to my father. I go, Dad, (laughs) how do I stop? He said, just shut the key off. And that's what I did. That's exactly what my father told me. I start it, yep. go, shut it off, and stop. Whether it was snowmobiles <laughs> or a car, he would just say, just turn just the key shut off. It off. So Cherryfield has a, or had a racetrack. Did, uh, did that ever overlap with any of your driving? Absolutely. I grew up, my dad's house was at the base of the road that went up into the old racetrack. How and big was that track? That track was a half a mile, mm. and it had some pretty good banking. And as a kid, we had, like, my dad got his first Honda three-wheeler. My dad liked to hunt. So he bought, he saw these Honda three-wheelers advertised. He went and bought one in 1973. I was five years old. Wow. And he brought this thing home and put a hunting uh, gun scabbard on it. But we used it when he wasn't using it for hunting. He let us ride it. Well, we had the old racetrack in the backyard, basically. The dirt road that went to the racetrack mm-hmm. went right by our house. So we, we had that as a playground. And as I got a little bit older, he'd let me take these old cars that he'd tow in that nobody would come get. Right. And we'd get them running, and we'd go up the old racetrack. Well, at the time, you could still get around it. And then, uh, you know, over the years, it would the the, uh, the ends of the track, the drains plugged up, and it became a frog pond and whatnot. But was, was, was Cherryfield, was it Cherryfield Speedway? Cherryfield Speedway. Yeah, fairgrounds. So, fairgrounds. So, yeah. was that an active track when you were doing all this? Or? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. no, yeah. That track closed the year I was born, 1968. Okay. And, uh, you know, people were always telling stories about my dad racing there and how good he was, but I never got to see him race. Uh, do they have any uh, Super 8 millimeter videos of him? They or? do, yep. Yeah. They have, there, there is some video. Uh, a lot of people know David McLaughlin yeah. and Andrew McLaughlin. They race. And uh, David's father, Gary, who just passed here recently, uh, he actually died two weeks before my father in October. And they were the two probably most well-known guys from Cherryfield Speedway. Mm. Gary was a car owner. And he always had a very competitive flathead Ford car. And my father always drove for somebody else. My dad never had his own car, but he he was the hired shoe to drive. And uh, he always was in a Chevy. So it was a Chevy and Ford rivalry, even back in the 60s. And dad was running six-cylinder Chevrolets back then, you know, 250s, souped up. And and Gary had the flathead Ford V8. So it was uh, was kind of a cool thing, but they, they were always friends and always competitors and 
Um, but it was some pretty good racing from what I've seen on those videos. Do you still have any of his trophies, or did he just not No, have them, I, I think he yeah. had some for, for a long time, mm-hmm. and then uh, as I... St- I, I think he just started getting them getting rid of them. I, right. we didn't we had uh, I had three sisters and we lived in a four bedroom house and I think that we just didn't have the storage so dad would he, he got rid of them he had a lot of trophies I remember as a, as a young kid yeah. I remember there being a lot of trophies upstairs in one of the bedrooms but then they disappeared so let's get to your racing when does it start well I'll tell you when it started for me is um, 1988. I had 87 days that I laid in a hospital bed in Eastern Maine Medical Center. I was going to ask that because I didn't know if you raced before you had uh, your hospitalization. Yeah, well, in 1988, I was um, I, I worked in Cherryfield. I was working for a local oil company, and I was um, actually it worked for my father. And I was I was driving a transporter, kind of like what I'm doing now, mm. hauling fuel, oil, and gas, and whatnot. And I became ill with uh, with a virus called Guillain-Barré syndrome. Never heard of it, didn't know anything about it, but ended up in the hospital, and I was paralyzed. And uh, how did? What was the first sign that you were like something? I'm nineteen, nineteen or twenty. Yeah, I was night. I was yeah. actually eighteen at the time. Okay, so you're eighteen, and you're you know supposedly in the prime of your life, right? And yep. then and then something's going wrong. What's the first thing that makes you say, "Wait a minute, this doesn't add up"? Yeah, first sign. Actually, I was uh, I was driving an oil truck during the mm. day, and I'd haul oil with my father's transporter at night, but um, I couldn't pull the hose with the hose rail delivering house to house nobody seemed to know and then it, it just gradually started going through my body so i my. was having a hard time walking and i had stopped working for a couple of days and um i ended up in in uh, ellsworth hospital in the middle of the night my parents took me and i was diagnosed by a physician's assistant he used a tuning fork and i didn't have any reflexes and he said you got to go to bangor and uh, they, my father took me in the pickup truck. Me, my mom was with us. Three o'clock in the morning, we go to Bangor. They they wouldn't even let me walk out of the truck. They met me at the door with a wheelchair, put me in, and the first thing they did was a spinal tap. And they had a neurologist come in. He did the spinal tap, and within a couple hours, he told me that I had Guillain-Barre, which is exactly what the PA in Ellsworth had told me. He said, look, I'm not a neurologist, but I think this is what you have. And wow. we're like, what is that? So... Long story short is 87 days later, I came out of Eastern Maine. I was paralyzed. I was on a ventilator for 33 days in uh, intensive care. And that's how the racing began because my buddy David Dow, who was the fireman from Bangor, he showed up when I was at my worst moment. I was, I was on a ventilator and I had chest tubes in and I couldn't talk, but I was laying in the, on the hospital bed. He showed up one night and he had taken the Kenny Schrader's number 25 Folgers Monte Carlo, mm. and he'd taken a model, and I uh, put my name above the door, and he put some my father's wrecker service on the rear quarter panel, and put my girlfriend's name on the passenger side, and he brought this thing in, mounted on a wooden plaque, which I still have today, with checkered flags on it, and he said, uh, he said, you got to get your ass out of that bed so we can go racing. And you had never done any real racing before. No, I hadn't, but I had gotten an old Nova out of the junkyard and we were cleaning out my father's garage when i got taken sick and we were going to pipe this nova and have it as an enduro car Mm. and i was going to be the one to drive it and uh that was the only thing we talked about racing and saying hey look you got to get your ass out of that bed we got to go racing that inspired me to to uh i said hey when i get out that's what we're going to do because i may never get i mean if i heal up and get back on my feet i'm going to drive a race car and that's kind of how the story began so you're laying in the hospital bed what is going through your mind during your worst days? 
Um, well, just surviving was the biggest thing. You know, mm. being on that ventilator, I couldn't, I didn't have any, I couldn't talk, but my mind was 100% all the time. And racing, I'm sure. And uh, mm. racing, at that point, I hadn't ever done it, so right. I was dreaming about no, it. I mean, you were thinking, your mind was My mind, oh, my was, mind going. was racing, yeah, 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 I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, I was... I was all about get doing whatever I, they told me to get out of that bed, and I had uh, six of those plasma phoresis treatments, and supposedly that might have helped me. It slowed down the the, the whole procedure and kind of got me leveled off, and I had to learn how to walk again. I had to go through occupational therapy where I had to learn how to put a nut on a bolt and stuff that I'd done a million times. For a person who uh, has been so hands-on throughout their entire life, that had to be uh, an that, incredible, humbling experience. Oh, absolutely. And mm-hmm. then then the first day they take me to stand up, and I could only stand for seven seconds, and it felt like the ca- the calves were going to blow out of my legs, you know. And mm-hmm. um, that went on for days, and every day I'd get a little bit of movement here or there, and, you know, i come out of the paralysis. I went the last thing they have you do is walk down the um, parallel bars like you see in movies and all right. that. That's, that. That stuff's all real. Yeah. You know, I was in a wheelchair when I came home, and um, I, I could stand, but I couldn't walk. I had a walker with wheels on it. Hmm. But I, I, weigh, uh, I weigh about 195 pounds now. I'm the same height. I'm 6'2". When I got out of the hospital, I weighed 108 pounds. I had wow. zero muscle tone, and uh, I was I'm just a, a toothpick, basically. And um, I had to I had to learn how to do a lot of things over again. Let's go manhandle race cars. That's right. right? <laughs> well, my biggest fear was yeah. my right shoulder is where it all started, and that was mm-hmm. the last thing to come back. So, oh. so for a year after I got out, I didn't have the use of my right arm. I could uh, there was some things I could do with it, but I couldn't put it above my head or anything. And when I bought my first race car that summer, um, that was another story. My uncle passed away this past spring. He was the bank manager, and I went to the bank after I recovered from this illness. Right. I walk in, and I ask him if I could take a personal note out for $5,000. And he said, geez, Andy, what are you going to do with that? You know, here I am, been in the hospital half the year. Yep. I said, well, I'm going to buy a race car. And he's like, you what? Yes. And he actually, I, I convinced him in about, it took about an hour. He was tough about doling out money, too. He didn't mm. lend money to just anybody. But he said, well, you know, you've always paid your, your debts. And he said, I know you will. And he said, I'm going to let you have that money, but I, I hope it works out for you. And at that point, I had no aspirations of doing it professionally. I just wanted to race a car. Right. And I went to the track with $5,000 cash and bought the car at the track. And actually, Dave McLaughlin um, is the one that helped me bring it home. He had a rollback, and we got it at the track, so they couldn't take anything off it. I got it right after it raced that night. And uh, that's kind of how my whole career started this was speedway 95 in bangalore okay. yeah and you raced a mini stock no it was a uh, super street car super street. Yeah. yeah it was a camaro all right and i uh, just had bias ply tires on it and a v8 so and the number was 25 Is yeah that, that was what, my first number yeah was yeah. that uh, the inspiration from uh, the kenny schrader car i think it might have been now that i look back i never really thought much about it but the model that david dow had brought mm. into the hospital was the folgers car and it had the number 25 on it yeah so David actually, when I borrowed that money, David said, "Hey, I want to help you." So we went halves on it, and we used the other money that that I had because I borrowed five, and I think we paid five for the car. So I used my twenty five hundred that I had left over to to get it ready. We painted it and did a bunch of stuff. So he spent like five grand, and I spent five grand getting tires and wheels, wow. and so we we were fifty fifty on that car. But we did throw a number twenty five on it, so that that must be how that came about. And how did you do? Um. We had three races left to go in September of that year that I bought it, and I ran all three, 
and I got wrecked the last one. And uh, I'm kind of glad because it did scam me a little bit, you know. Mm. I'd only been out there three times, and I got tore up pretty good. But we brought it home, and we ripped it all apart over the winter and completely redid the whole car. And uh, we actually went to the Bangor Mall with it and had a real nice paint job, and it looked really nice. And we won the mall show, so that was our first win. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, we come out of the box that summer, and uh, I actually got a win about midway through the year, and then I just started winning. After that, I... You know, I started winning a lot more. And now, uh, is your dad consulting you? How how close is he along the way as far as maybe helping you out driving? Or no, no? dad didn't even go hardly. I mean, he went wow. to the first few, but he. Um, my father was a workaholic, and he was all about working and making money. And he kind of was against me. He raced for a, a long time, but he always got paid to do it, mm. and he never put his own money in. So here I was, a young man, had been through a lot with you know illness and i'm back on my feet and i i'm not saying my father was against it because he loved having the guys over at the garage and he liked to come out and check on us but he didn't want me spending my money and dumping it all in a race car and he's thinking i'm at an age i'm 19 years old i probably ought to be saving my money to get to buy a house and this kind of stuff my father was he was pretty uh level-headed and pretty good with his money Mm. and i think me owning a stock car that was that was something that he didn't he didn't go for the money part he right. loved he loved that i could drive and he mm. knew i could go up there and do good but i think uh if i could have drove for someone else that was what he always wanted and um later on hmm. that happened and he he became a lot more excited about me racing once right. i didn't have to put my own yes. money in so the first time I think our our paths cross you don't even realize this but uh, I'm just I'm a fan watching practice day uh, American Canadian Tour Lee USA was it 92 or 93 we had that fluorescent car It would have been 91 actually Oh 91 Yep 91 so So the rookie race there was this is what act used to do it used to be a 2 day show uh, Saturday would be the practice session and uh, there would be a rookie race which I was all excited about it was the best looking thing out there and I thought I said that car is going to win. I knew nothing about you. All <laughs> right, your name was Andy, so I'm like, well, he's got that going he's for him. He's got that going for right? him. Yeah. And then you smoked him. Yep. Uh, yep. So uh, how did that car? How did that team come together? Well, um, in 1990, I raced at Bangor a full season, and Stan Meserve from Distance Racing, a lot of people know Stan. Mm-hmm. He built me a brand new car. I bought an old Camaro that I'd found on the side of the road with no engine, but it didn't have any rust or anything. And Stan said, strip that thing out and bring it to me. Get everything you can get off it. So I did. And then the next time I went down there, he cut even more off. And he built me a brand-new Super Street. Um, and it was David Dow and myself, the Bango firefighter. He mm. owned half of that car, too. And uh, we got our first new engine to go in that car. And we'd won, we'd won a bunch of races at Bangor and won the championship in 1990. Well, at the end of the year, we had a chance to sell that car. I, I went to the Unity Long John 100 in 1990. I think it was the second Long John. Mm. And I sat on the pole and won the race, led every lap with that Camaro. And uh, there was a guy standing there that his wife had won the Mega Bucks, and I knew him, <laughs> and he wanted that car. So I sold it to him that night. Yeah. The price uh, just went up. Price went up, yeah. <laughs> yes. So uh, David said, hey, we got to talk to Stan. we got to find us a, a, an ant car. 
We'll go act racing. Well, his two guys from Cherryfield, neither one of us had a whole lot of money. Have you ever been to an act race? Uh, I don't think so. No. I think nope. act went to Unity in 89. Yeah, they 90, did. They did. Maybe. They, yeah, but yeah. I didn't I didn't even see him. But I knew no. that we'd go down to stands to get parts, and he'd have some of those beautiful Buicks mm. and Luminas and stuff yeah. in there. And we're like, wow, look at that. You know, it was, that, was, that was real nice stuff. And uh, so we talked to Stan, and he said, hey, I just took a car in on trade. It was a Dan Beatty car, and Dan Beatty was out of, I think he was from Vermont. Yeah. And Dan had raced the Act Tour, and he said, hey, it's a real nice car. It's a how car. He said, we can take care of it. We can set it up for you and everything. So so I ended up, David and I bought that car together. And we, we brought it home, and we we got it. Dave McMaster built us a motor for it, and we put it all together, and we didn't know anything about those cars. I mean, they were real high-tech coilovers and mm. three links. We didn't know anything. We'd had a Camaro with leaf springs. And... Um, so we took it to stay in reserve. He set it all up, got it all ready, and we painted it. We made it look good because, and, and like you said, it was probably the sharpest car there. Yeah. It was a sharp car. and uh, But we went down there with thinking, you know, if we can get in that rookie race, you know, and, and at least people will find, you know, get my name out there. People hopefully recognize the name. and So never thought I could win. I mean, there was some big names in that, that rookie race. And was that the first time you ever drove that car? That's the first time I ever sat in the seat. That day? That, that day, wow. Saturday. Yep. Wow. Never. We'd never tested it or anything. Stan set it up. We went down there, and he goes, you'll be fine. And I went out, and I just <laughs> yeah. got, got used to – I'd never driven anything with, you know, 550, 600 horsepower, whatever it was, a four-barrel carburetor. Yeah. Um, I'd been running two-barrel motors at Bangor, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was like, wow, this thing's got some horsepower. And Lee has that wall that goes all the way around. Oh, yeah. yeah. And and Saturday was great. We practiced, and we were decent. Went mm-hmm. out in the race, and I won the rookie race. But, like, I remember Tom Curley coming to me uh, Sunday. He came over and congratulated me for winning the rookie race. And um, he said, we're glad to have you here and this and that. Well, I went out, and I, I think I was fourth in one of the heats. And uh, I was starting fourth. Mm-hmm. And we went down into turn one, and the guy on the inside, I don't even know who it was, but he, he got down on the bottom of the racetrack, and something happened to his steering. He hit me in the left front, and I stuck that thing into that wall in the in, in turn one. And we I remember trying to get that thing loaded on our open trailer behind David's Dodge pickup. Yeah. And uh, I remember the ride home. I was like, uh, what are we going to do now, Dave? Because we both spent every penny we had just to get there. Mm-hmm. And here it was, it needed a front clip needed a lot of you know hood nose all that stuff and that stuff was pretty expensive it's about the same price as it is now you know it hasn't changed a lot and we're we're talking well david's wife was sitting in the middle Uh, we had a regular cab pickup truck we were towing with and we said what are we going to do and david said well tell you what we're going to do he said i'm going to sell the old lady's car he said and we're going to fix the race car and i looked at her and i said are you okay with that and she goes well He'll give me a car. He'll find me something to drive. She goes, I'm okay with that. He had a Buick Regal. We got home. He sold it. We got 3000 for the Regal. And uh, we took that money down to Stan Reserve, and he put a new clip on the car and put all new fenders and new hood right. and nose. And we the next race was Beatridge in two weeks. So we had to go to Beatridge because that was a main track. And yeah. that was my first act race was at Beatridge. And Beatridge was a place that you and your father went to when you were young. I mean, you're Cherry Field, that's what, two, two and a half hours away from the track, but it was something that you did every summer. Yeah, we did. It was uh, it's about three, a little over three hours from Cherry Field to Beatridge, but my dad loved the dirt tracks. Hmm. And when I was growing up, that was the only dirt track left in Maine. And I'd always be like, Dad, take me to the races, take me to the races. And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll take you for your birthday. Well, <laughs> my dad always had a motorcycle. My birthday's in September, so the season's starting to wind down. 
But he'd say, let's go on the motorcycle. So every year from the time I was probably 10 years old until I was, I don't know, I, we did it for four or five years in a row. I was probably a teenager when we I got too cool to ride on the back of his motorcycle with mm. him. But we'd go to Beatridge every year together. We always stayed at the Sunrise Motel over on Route 1 in, in Saco. Yes. And uh, he'd call one of his old buddies that he, he raced with, and they'd pick he'd pick us up, and we'd all go to the racetrack together. Wow. And and they they knew all those you know they knew Homer Drew and they knew the P thirty eight and they they'd tell me look watch that Walsenhoom guy you know and I remember these names from being a kid right. and they, and they and Dad just loved watching those modifieds on the dirt he'd come to Beatridge and raced a few times but his car didn't handle hmm. and he said they couldn't they couldn't get set up they they had been racing at uh, Graham Lake Speedway in Ellsworth on asphalt. And they dragged it up. They had a car with a big motor in it, and they brought it to Beatridge thinking they were going to set the world on fire. And yeah. He said, man, you go from asphalt to dirt. He, he liked the dirt better, hmm. but he said they just didn't handle. But he had raced at Cherryfield all them years, hmm. and he was one of the top dogs, and he had a good car that he drove then. And uh, But he loved Beatridge. That was his favorite place. How does that season go for the 25? Uh, didn't go real good. We, we obviously didn't have a lot of funding, but... We didn't know what we were doing either, but we mm. we I think we did like six races that year, and we went to uh, we we did Beatridge and we did Thunder Road, we did Plattsburgh, New York, mm. so we got some good experience. You know, we did the Lee thing, and um, so we it was kind of a learning curve, and we both sat down that fall and said, hey, I think we're a little in a little over our heads. Maybe we'd ought to take next year and just run the local run the main tracks yeah. like big shows. Let's do the pro stock stuff and. These act guys, they they were on it. This would be every act race that I went to from 89 to 91. Paul Richardson would be on the pole. And the 07, the Norseman car, would be out there and it'd lead the first 35 laps and he'd burn the tires burn the off. T- <laughs> right? And then Junior Hanley would have to start out back, right? And then Junior Hanley just slowly in that 72, just creep up the outside, creep up the outside, and well, 65 laps into the race, the race is over. Race Hanley's, is over. Went, yeah, he's Hanley's gone. Yeah. And what I what always fascinated me about Junior Hanley is I was I was I didn't have a lot of money, but I always wanted my stuff to look good. Yeah. Like my first car, I the the chassis that was spray bombed but it was shiny and i remember watching that hanley car gorgeous car beautiful paint on the outside mm. but the chassis was never painted and i'm like i wonder why he doesn't paint his chassis you know mm. and uh i guess he was worried about the weight now that i i had <laughs> wow. a good friend of mine that he's about junior's age and he worked for junior a lot he actually worked on the team with me when i drove for joe bessie down south he's from canada and he's a great guy brian mcdonald's his name and he uh he said junior was so just so crazy about weight he wouldn't even that's why he didn't paint the chassis because a gallon of paint weighed you know eight nine pounds whatever it was right he he didn't want that on his chassis that's fascinating that's it for stage number one of my chat with andy santer in stage two andy tells the story of how he almost drove for the intimidator i didn't know it at the time but dale earnhardt was looking at myself and steve park to to go in one of his cars for the back then it was the bush series remember you can support main vintage race car association by becoming a member for less than two dollars a month at mainvintagerace.org that's mainvintagerace.org and support the open trailer podcast by going to patreon.com slash open trailer podcast money raise goes directly into the production and equipment to make this possible appreciate your support catch in stage two